on-demand coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. January 26th edition. Let the countdown begin to the launch of the XFL two years from today. I am excited about this. Just because it's something new and it's something different, I don't expect it to succeed. I don't expect it to thrive. I don't expect it to be around two years after it launches. But as I get ready for a month of February that has the Super Bowl and really nothing else that I care about except for the scouting combine. Okay, I pretend to care about the scouting combine because it goes with the gig. I realized, I don't know how many years ago, so long ago that I can't remember that the scouting combine is useless. It's great because we go to it, we get access to coaches and GMs, we have some great conversations, but the actual on-field activities, it's not football, and it's not really telling us anything about what kind of football players these guys are going to be, and by the time the season rolls around, we'll have forgotten everything we're obsessing over as these dudes run around in their underwear. We are going to talk today to the guy who will be calling his 10th Super Bowl, Al Michaels of NBC. Super Bowl number 10. A full 30 minutes with Al Michaels. More Al equals less me equals better PFT PM podcast. Almost to the point where he should just do the PFT PM podcast. Not that he... I think he probably has a few other things that he probably prefer to do. But we did get him. I've taped it and we'll play it for you coming up here in a few minutes. A couple of news items. Things that have transpired since we went off the air with PFT Live on Friday morning. The NFL has had its annual conference call regarding injury data from the season that was. 281 concussions diagnosed in 2017, the most the league has seen since it started tracking concussions consistently six years ago. The major increase came in practices, not in games, according to the NFL. And here's the problem with the numbers of concussions that are diagnosed. I don't know that it means there are more or fewer. Some years, players are more inclined to tap out. Other years, for whatever reason, they're not. And if it's a practice concussion, and it's a player who is less likely to lose his job, if he says, I'm feeling the symptoms of a concussion, he's going to be willing to say so. If it's a guy who's fighting for a roster spot, he's not going to say so. So I think there are so many variables that go into the willingness of a player to say, I don't feel right. I never know how accurate these numbers are. I really don't. It's good that the NFL pays attention to it. It's good that the NFL tracks it. It's good that there's some transparency with it. I don't know what any of it ultimately means. And here's the thing. It's not going to keep players from playing professional football. Chris Borland is the only guy who genuinely retired from football because of concerns over head injuries. Every once in a while, there will be a guy who retires when he's facing a major pay cut and he throws out health concerns. But if he wasn't facing the major pay cut, he'd keep playing. That happens from time to time. But think about it. We're nine years into the NFL sensitivity concussions. There's nothing that anyone can say now regarding information being withheld, concealed about the long-term risks. Everybody knows everything they need to know. And guys are still signing up to play. The supply of players still grossly outweighs the demand, except at the quarterback position. But that that isn't a concussion issue. That's a quarterback skill and ability issue. So good for the NFL to be transparent. I don't know what any of it means. I do know that it means that football is still going to continue and that a year from now we'll be talking about the concussion data from the prior season and two years from now we'll be doing the same thing for the 2019 campaign. Carson Wentz didn't have a concussion in 2017, but he did have an ACL tear. Apparently it also involved an LCL tear. That's one of the other. I don't know how many CLs there are. I know the ACL, the MCL, the PCL, and the LCL. I think that covers the entire universe of the CLs. I think. I don't know. The ACL is the big one, though. That's the queen mother of the ligaments. And if you tear that one, you aren't playing again. I think guys have played with LCLs and PCLs and MCLs. But the ACL, once that goes, you got a problem. And now Carson Wentz trying to get himself healthy again. People still suggest they may have a quarterback controversy in Philadelphia. Come on, man. Carson Wentz versus Nick Foles. Really? 
You keep Nick Foles for next year unless you can flip him for a high second-round pick or more. It's great insurance to have. You're going to need to have a capable backup with Carson Wentz because he's not going to change his playing style. That's what he said. That's in the same story regarding the LCL tear to go with the ACL tear. He's not going to change. Well, if he's not going to change, that means he's going to continue to get injured because guys who play the position with a reckless abandon are going to take more hits, and it's basic physics. The more hits you take, the more likely you're eventually going to be injured. The one guy who defies that is Russell Wilson because Russell Wilson has that instinct, and I think he's the only quarterback who has this. It's a Barry Sanders type of an instinct where he knows how to position his body, how to turn it and twist it just right. So when he takes that hit, it does not hit him in an awkward way that causes him to be injured. Okay, as promised, because it was an extended conversation, I'm going to shut up and I'm going to play for you now the discussion that we had earlier today with the great Al Michaels. Okay, as promised, one of the greats, one of the all-time best announcers in any sport, in every sport. I, I think it's easier to list the sports that Al Michaels hasn't worked than it is to list the... Let me start over again. I didn't like that. That's what I like about taping. Three, two, and one. All right, welcome back. And as promised, one of the all-time greats in the world of broadcasting. Easier to list the sports he hasn't worked than it is to list the sports he has worked. He's done it all. He's going to be doing his 10th Super Bowl coming up in nine days in Minneapolis. He is Al Michaels. Al, welcome back. How are you, pal? Always great to be with you, Mike. Uh, can't wait for a you know week from, I guess, a week from Sunday. But uh, this uh, this podcast can be listened to at any point. So it's February the 4th. If at all. It, if at all. Hopefully over the weekend. You get the Friday spot, so hopefully we push it over the weekend Great. like the veal, and people will listen to more of it because it's the latest one. But, Perfect. Uh, and and, and this, is, this is a strange world that we live in now where we can have these conversations and we record them and we throw them out of the nest and we see where they go, if they fly, if they don't, if they do whatever. But having a guest like Al Michaels on the podcast t- would, would tend to move the needle a little bit more if it's, <laughs> than it's just me talking. Yeah, maybe three or four more people will listen. You have no Probably my daughter and my son and maybe a couple of grandkids. Three or four people will definitely be listening next Sunday or a few more for Super Bowl 52. Super Bowl number 10 for you. When I, when I say Super Bowl, what's the first thing that comes to mind for you? National holiday, uh, Super Sunday. Uh, the fact that uh, I was actually at the first Super Bowl. My brother and I had tickets to the Coliseum in Los Angeles in January of 19. 19- 67, so um, there's, uh, there's not one that I have missed, either attending in person or on television, and uh, it's become the uh, biggest sports event in, in America. There's no question about that. Obviously, the World Cup, uh, since it's a worldwide event, would would be uh, something that's probably uh, a lot bigger and certainly would be uh, felt that way by most of the people around the globe. But in our country... Uh, it's it's a national holiday, and they should uh, just proclaim it as such and give everybody Monday off. Have you done soccer? I have not. It's the one sport that I have not done, and people keep saying to me, well, maybe you should do it. And I said, I'm not sure how many guys are on a soccer team. <laughs> so That would be the, you know what, that would be my advice to you if you were going to do a soccer game. First thing, figure out exactly how many guys. I can't tell you that either, but that would probably be the first place I would go. Well, how many I'm going players to my, are there? I'm going to my grandson's soccer game this afternoon. He's 14 years old, so uh, that's as close as I'll get to soccer. But, you know, in the old days when I was at uh, Wide World of Sports, Mike, they sent us around the world to do all kinds of crazy stuff, including rugby. And I knew very little about rugby, but I, I got to, uh, uh, to to learn about it over a two- or three-week period prior to going over to, to England in 1978. And uh, a little trivia here. My analyst on that on a game at, at Wembley Stadium, uh, and it was actually it was rugby league because they have regular rugby and rugby union and rugby league, was Pat Hayden, who at that time was a Rhodes Scholar at Oxford. And they were looking for somebody who was over there and save a plane ticket and all of the rest. And Pat Hayden and I got together, the two of us knowing uh, very, very little about rugby, but we were able to get it done, because in, in those years, it was more of a travelogue than it was, uh, hey, uh, people are tuning in to watch these two particular teams play in, in a rugby game. So we had a lot of fun, and uh, in fact, I just saw Pat recently, and uh, we talk about that every time we, uh, 
we get together the fact that uh, he was a Rhodes Scholar. We did that, and then a year later, he was playing uh, in a Super Bowl for the Rams against the Pittsburgh Steelers in 1979. And that was one of the great Super Bowls back at the time when the default was the Super Bowl's not going to be a very good game. And it started with Super Bowl thirteen, Cowboys, Steelers, surprisingly great game. And then the next year, Rams, Steelers, even though it was 31 to 19, I think the final score, that was a great game back and forth until the long pass to Stallworth. Isn't it weird, though, that there was a time and maybe the teams needed to get their footing in this whole concept of the Super Bowl where the games just weren't good? Absolutely. I mean, most of the, the you know, the first 2022 were not very good, very non-compelling. I mean, you go back to number, you know, number three was a completely different animal, of course, with Joe Namath and and uh, and the AFL and all of, all of that. And then, you know, the Rams, uh, Steelers was a good game. Uh, Dallas, Pittsburgh was a good game. But for the most part, the first Super Bowl I did was 22, which was in San Diego. It was Washington against Denver. And I was with Frank Gifford and Dan Deardorff. And we were saying, hey, maybe you know, maybe we get the one. We'll get maybe we get the first good one in a long time. And it starts out ten nothing Denver, and now we're thinking, oh no, uh, we, we've got another route on our hands. Of course, uh, uh, a quarter later, we d- we did have a route on our hands. It was thirty five to ten Washington, getting five touchdowns in the second quarter, four on Doug Williams passes, and then one rushing touchdown, I think, by Timmy Smith. So we had another route. So I look at it, um, you know, I'm lucky in the sense that I've done nine of them now, Mike. Five have been dramatic and have gone down to the end. Three of them were total routes. One was kind of in the middle, which was the uh, Pittsburgh-Seattle game in Detroit in 05, which kept bordering on being a good game but never really quite got there. But to have five out of nine that go down to the last minute of the game, you know, in baseball I'm hitting 556, which is not a bad average. (laughs) What's the first one you did that was a great finish? It would have been, well, Scott Norwood in 1990. Oh, well, that would be a significant game. Right. I mean, that game was not terrific. I mean, it was a pretty good game. It had a a dramatic ending. Uh, It came right after the the Gulf War had started, and that game was in Tampa in 1990, uh, after the 90 season. And uh, I remember it's the first time I saw barricades around a stadium because we were at war, had been for about two weeks, uh, it was kind of a pall over the country, uh, and that was the game where you know, the first of four for Buffalo in a row with Marv Levy and Jim Kelly and and uh, Thurman Thomas and Andre Reed and, and that group against the Giants, who had gotten there despite the fact that Phil Simms had been hurt, I think, in the next to last game of the regular season, and Jeff Hostetler led them to uh, to a victory. So that was the first dramatic game that I had. After that was San Francisco-San Diego, which was a total route. Uh, the one after that would have been St. Louis-Tennessee, which goes right down to the end of the game with Kevin Dyson. Uh, stopped at the one-yard line by Mike Jones, so that was that was a beauty. Uh, then we did Oakland and Tampa Bay, which was a route. We did that, that Pittsburgh-Seattle uh, game, which you know kept trying to get there but didn't. Arizona-Pittsburgh, which was phenomenal. Uh, Giants against... The Patriots, not the first one, but the second one, which actually ended with, you know, Brady trying to throw to Gronkowski in the end zone. It was incomplete. Giants win, uh, and then Malcolm Butler intercepting uh, Russell Wilson at the end of the game was the last one we did. So, uh, a lot of drama, a couple of routes, but even in one of those routes, Mike, I think it was the largest uh, point spread in the history of the Super Bowl: San Francisco, San Diego, ninety-four. Certainly among the top, you know, one or two something like 18 points, and at the end of the game, the only good thing about that game was at the end of the game it was 49-26 to 26 San Francisco, so that's 23 points. And the game ends with Stan Humphreys uh, taking the snap at the 49-35 or 35 yard line, going back to pass, and my boss, Dennis Swanson, had said to me, the league is really sensitive if you can avoid doing any, any point spread references. I said, fine, <laughs> but I, I couldn't help myself. I said, Humphrey's back to pass, and as he launched onto the end zone, I said, and all over America, hearts are beating furiously, <laughs> incomplete. <laughs> that would have turned it. <clears throat> and, and, you know, every once in a while, you'll make that sly little reference, and some people get it, and it goes over the heads of other people. Do you ever get any pushback at all from the league office for making that indirect, oh, not I, so I may subtle? Get, I may get some, some secondhand moaning. Oh, you know, I wish Al wouldn't have done it or did it 
done it to that extent. I kind of, I'll hear it through a third party, but you and I both know. I mean, are you kidding me? If you said to any sports league, uh, we're going to give somebody the death penalty if if we we catch them betting, you think they would get behind that? Of course they wouldn't. And look what the NBA is doing right now. The NBA wants to be a party to this, and I wouldn't be surprised in the next you know three or four years if all of the sports league uh, were involved in that. There's no question, Mike. We all, people stay tuned longer because of the fact they've got a few bucks on the game. Yeah, you, you can't dispute it. You can't argue against it. And, uh, you know, I think Adam Silver was ahead of the curve here by figuring out, hey, uh, we can be a part of this as well. Well, and the NFL can huff and puff all they want about it, and they still do get sensitive about references to point spreads. They're putting a team in Las Vegas. Right. I mean, once you cross that bridge, I think it becomes a little difficult to say anything about anyone acknowledging that, yes, there is gambling, it is rampant, and it's a billion do- a multi-billion dollar industry. Nobody knows how big it is because it all happens off the books. And sure. I think the NBA has pulled the NFL to the front of the line, Al. And I think both of those leagues and every other league is going to find a way to make billions of dollars off of being involved in it. I don't think there's, there's any question about that, uh, Mike. I think that, look, gambling is not just limited to Vegas or to Atlantic City anymore. I mean, Steve Wynn's building a, a $2.5 billion casino in Boston. So, I mean, it's, gambling is, is all over the place. And, and, you know, hockey has now moved to Vegas, and it's been tremendously successful. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the NBA goes there someday. Football, of course, is going to be there in a couple of years with, with the Raiders. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a case of, hey, look, you know, we can stick our head in the ground, but this thing is going to – people are going to gamble. They're going to find a way to gamble – and so, the, as I say, Adam Silver is the first guy to kind of figure out, hey, listen, instead of resisting this, uh, let's see if we can be a party with it. Well, and I thought the NFL's play was going to be eventually have the ability to place bets through NFL.com, through apps, through whatever, just like you can buy scalp tickets now. Twenty years ago, I'd have said, you can't buy scalp tickets through a team website. Of course, I would have said, what's a website 20 years ago? Right. But, Look how it's evolved, and I think it's more than just being the conduit for it. When the NBA goes to a New York Senate hearing and says, we want 1% of everything that gets handled through any sports wagering set up by New York State, the NFL is going to do the same thing. And the NFL is going to make, if they can pull that off state by state, 1% of all the action, what a windfall that is and how much more powerful that makes the NFL. That's why I read Pro Football Talk every uh, every day, just to see what... uh what your take is on this. You're wired into all this stuff. Well, and it's amazing. I love it. and, and listen, Al, I get no, I have no desire to gamble. I get all my enjoyment from the sport, from just watching it and being passionate about it. But yeah, the ratings, when they go up, when they go down, when there's interest, when there's not, it's all driven, not all driven, but between fantasy football and gambling, a lot of the games that fans wouldn't care about, they care about them because they do have money on it and people are always going to have money. They're going to find a way to put money on it and I think it's overdue for the leagues to say, this is another way for us to make even more money off of all this money that's changing hands. And, Mike, you know, one of the great things about sports is you don't know what's going to happen. And I cannot tell you the people who come up to me and, you know, go, hey, you know, who do you think is going to win? I don't want to say anything. Every time somebody says, who do you think is going to win? I go, oh, triple overtime. You know, <laughs> I kind of deflect it. But one of the. I, it's so funny because when I was working with Frank Gifford and Dan Deardorff, we would we'd drive out to the stadium. We knew everything. I mean, we met with the coaches, the players. We knew the GMs. We knew the owners. We studied it. We have, we had all the statistics that were available. Nobody could have known more than we knew, or at least had access to. We couldn't figure out who was going to win the game. We were all over the place. And to this day, it's the same thing. Chris and I occasionally will go out there. Who do you think is going to win? We don't know. And I tell people, I said, as much as I know, if I had to make my living betting on the National Football League, I would be living under a freeway overpass. You can't beat it. You just can't beat it. And, you know, you go back and forth, and this is going to happen. And, you know, if, we can, if they can seal the edge, if they can get pressure on Brady, all this stuff, it's great to talk about, you know, for the weeks leading up to it. And then all of a sudden you get, you know, Diggs making a catch and going down the sideline for a touchdown. You get all this crazy stuff that happens at the end of a game, and there's no way you can figure factor that into it. So I think it's you know it's, it's fun to listen to and watch and all of that, but uh, when it comes to betting on games, 
get a dartboard and, and, and a bunch of darts and, you know, fire away. And, and what amazes me, Al, is it all comes down, if you study a game carefully, it comes down, in most cases, to a handful of plays. Even the blowout of the Vikings by the Eagles on Sunday. If Chris Long doesn't hit Case Keenum on that second mm-hmm. drive by the Vikings and they keep the drive alive and they go down and they go up 10 nothing or 14 nothing, right. a little fluke here, a little fluke there, it turns everything and it takes a close game. It takes what even could have been a blowout the other way and turns it into a blowout for the home team. And you have no way of knowing when those moments are going to be and how those moments are going to play out. And you see it in just about every game and we'll see it in the Super Bowl. And speaking of this Super Bowl coming up, Patriots-Eagles, Give me an idea of what your week is going to be like by way of the amount of time that gets put into preparing for Sunday. Well, we we have a lot of meetings, but but we always do it. Our feeling is, Mike, that on our crew, and you know all of our guys, of course, Fred Gidelli, our producer, and Drew Ezekoff, our director, and you know Chris and Michelle and the and the whole gang. So we treat every Sunday night game as a mini Super Bowl. So the preparation is pretty much the same as it is for a regular season game. Even though we know it's bigger, we, we do understand that. Uh, what we'll do when we get to Minnesota is uh, meet. W- one day will be spent with one of the teams, probably Wednesday, uh, and then Thursday will be spent with the other team. And we get you know tremendous access, go to practice, you know, meet with the coaches, the players, and all of the rest. Talk to the owners, talk to the GMs, talk to the uh, the, the coordinators. Uh, the good thing about this one for us is we've had these teams each three times during the season. And, you know, we, we kind of know New England inside out. We've had them so much over the, the past few years. And we had Philadelphia three times from the end of November on. So we're pretty much up to speed with everything. But then, you know, what we'll do is we, we kind of look for the stuff that people haven't heard about or haven't heard too much about. One of the things about the Super Bowl going in is that uh, a lot of the stories are known by people because they've been reading about it and hearing about it for two weeks. So it's up to us to find something a little bit, um, I don't want to say necessarily off-center, but apart from what everybody has heard. Find the good human interest stories. And once the game starts, as, as my old partner John Madden once said, you prepare like crazy. We've got 18 million things at our disposal. You get there, and then you know what happens? A game breaks out. So then you got to stay with, just be with the game. So we're going to go in there, you know, armed to the teeth, have 18 million things that we could talk about. But, Mike, you got to let the game take you to where you want to go. And that's the great thing with, you know, with, with John Madden through the years and now nine years with Chris Collinsworth. Let the game start. Let's see where we are and then fold our commentary into where the game is. Some of the greatest stories I've ever had, just fell on the, as they say in uh, in Hollywood, uh, on the cutting room floor. Why? Because they weren't germane to the game itself. But if you got a great story and it involves somebody who's now an integral part of that game, uh, that's beautiful. But then you can fold that in. But once the game gets going, you stay with the game and let the game take you um, to the telecast and not vice versa. How conscious are you during a Super Bowl of the reality that a huge portion of the audience never watches a game, and maybe doesn't understand, do you find yourself explaining a little bit more in a Super Bowl than you would during a regular game, or you just play it like you always do? No, I do, Mike, and I'm aware of that, and I'm aware of the fact that, you know, on Sunday night we may have 20 to 25 million viewers, probably have four times to five times as many in a Super Bowl. Uh, Once in a while, if if I see something that I, I figure... The fan, the the real, the real fan would know, but the the casual fan or somebody watching once or twice a year would not know. You know, I'll, I'll preface it by saying, you know, look, football fans know, but a lot of folks are watching this game. You know, don't watch a lot of football. So, in other words, I'm saying to the the fan, hey, look, I know you know. So I'm not I'm not uh, uh, I'm not you know uh, disputing your intelligence or, or or your knowledge of the game or all of that. But I want the people who are, you know, following it casually. And that's not with everything. That's just with a couple of things maybe during the course of the game where something will happen, and I'll know the real fan will know, but the average fan might not know, uh, especially in, in regard to rules and replays and, and all of that other stuff. So I'm, I'm very conscious of that. But you don't want, you know, you, you, you can't do the game for everybody because you got the, the, the rabid, passionate fan on one side and the guy who watches one game a, a year on the other side. So it, it, it's hard, to, but you just kind of all you do is you, you you figure out what the what the the consensus would be in a way, 
and try to fold it in that regard and, and not overthink it too because sometimes if you begin to think about how many people are watching and all of the rest of it the, the great thing about you know doing something like the Super Bowl is you kind of, you've been there before I think when I hear the players talk about you know hey there's excitement and tension and anxiety and maybe some nervousness before the game and once the game gets started you know after a couple of plays they're doing what they do they're playing the game same thing with broadcasting you know, you're excited, the game's going to start, it's the National Anthem and the whole thing, and, you know, all of the, uh, the the bells and whistles before the game. And then all of a sudden they kick it off and the game starts. And you're right back where you've been for your your whole career. You know it's exciting, you know it's, 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 you know, it's, it's a thrilling day. And then all I'm rooting for on the inside is I'm rooting for a dramatic game, period. You mentioned replay, and I have sensed from time to time this year mild frustration to say the least, with mm-hmm. the, not just the process, but how long it takes and sure. how much time is wasted when it, it's obvious that the play should not even be close to being overturned. What do you think, as somebody who prepares for a game every week and studies it and understands the importance of the flow of the game and, and everything that goes along with presenting it in a way that remains compelling start to finish, what can the NFL do? Number one, to ensure that the rulings on the field are indeed accurate, but number two, to not bog down the rule or bog down the game rather with replay reviews that that take too long. Well, one thing, Mike, is that once they decided that New York was going to have the final say, let them have the final say. Why do you, why do you have to bring the official over and have a two minute conference with him if New York's going to make the decision? Can't they see it? And I mean, it just seems to me there are times. I mean, for instance, if you go back to the Diggs catch, they didn't confirm it for two and a half to three minutes. And I, I was talking to Fred Gadelli after the game, our producer, and we were saying, what are they looking at? He's in bounds. He never stepped out of bounds. So were they trying to look for something? I mean, once you open up replay, you open up the whole play. So if you saw something else, what else were they looking for? And then I had the, uh, I had the Rams-Falcons uh, wild card game where you could see where the punt had touched the foot, the Atlanta punt had touched the foot of a, of a, of a Rams player first, uh, and then it had been recovered by Atlanta. So there's a two-minute discussion on the field. And we showed you the replay, and we can say, hey, look, this is pretty obvious. Uh, they're discussing it for whatever reason. And then all of a sudden, Ed Hockley said, the play is under review. So the play is under review for what? What did you just talk about for two minutes? So it's under review. We go to commercial. We come back. It's a three, a two and a half, three minute deal on the sideline, and we 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 showed a couple of more replays. And I said, well, what can they what can they possibly be looking at? This is clear. It's absolutely clear evidence, totally. And then Hockley came back and said exactly what we were saying, and that's when I blurted out, "No kidding." <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? What I said, I think, at that point was exactly what the fans around the country were saying. Well, and that's the key, capturing the emotion of the people at home feeling. And you're right, right, there is that frustration that the fans have. And the NFL talks so much now about holding the audience in place and not letting them stray to their smartphones, to right. whatever else may capture their attention. And when I hear a guy like a Vince McMahon reimagining football and wanting to fit it within a two-hour window, and I know how these alternative football leagues go, they're destined to fail. It's the rare one that's going to succeed. But wouldn't it be great to see the XFL survive long enough just to show the NFL that there are ways to do things that could make the game move more efficiently? If they can do that and show the NFL that it can be done more efficiently. You know, I don't know how this is going to work. You tell me, Mike. I mean, it's... Yeah, they're going to find guys with, with, the, with nothing on their, uh, on their rap sheet. Uh, I mean, <laughs> where are they going to find the players? Is, is my question. Well, I mean, and he, but, but now here's the inconsistency that I that I hear from Vince McMahon on this. On one hand, he says we're going to ask the fans what they want, and then he's got a list of rules ready. Well, how do you know the fans want that? And right. I think that whole we're going to give the fans the game they want gives him the the license to make whatever changes he needs to make in the interest of expedience, in the interest of of financial gain, in the interest of whatever he ultimately wants to do. And he can say this is what the fans want. We've done the surveys. We've talked to the fans. They want this. And that becomes the magic wand that gets waved anytime they decide, you know what, it probably isn't a good idea to put ourselves in a position where 
if our star player, if our one-star player gets himself in trouble, but he's not to blame, or there may be a perfectly legitimate defense or whatever, we have to kick him out of the league. So I think a lot of what we heard from Vince McMahon is going to change once they realize that that's just not that's not a sustainable way to have any professional sports league if you're going to slam the door on anyone who has ever gotten in trouble at any point in their entire life. And, and not only that, but Mike, what's the methodology they're going to use for what the fans want? Does every fan want the same thing? No. Fans want different things. Fans want the game to be played maybe a little quicker. Uh, a a two-hour game, I, I don't know what that means. You know, I mean, to me, if a game is compelling, if it's two hours, three hours, four hours, whatever, I, I, I have no idea what he's talking about in, in, in that regard. Um, the but to, but to me, when you say what the fans want something, we live in a country of 330 million people and maybe, I don't know, 80 million are football fans. How are you going to canvas those 80 million and find out, you know, what the fans want? Uh, and you're not. That's the you, thing. You it becomes the you, guys to say, this is what we're going to do, and we've determined that this is what the fans want. Right. And you convince them that's what they want by telling them that's what they want. And and here's the reality, Al, because when I thought, when I first caught wind of this idea of the XFL coming back, I thought they were going to try to fill the void that's been created by the NFL's attention to health and safety and the changing of the rules, the helmet-to-helmet hits, all the things that draw flags and fines now that 10, 20 years ago were A-OK. I hear people grouse about the absence of that kind of football all the time. So depending upon which fans you talk to, those fans are going to say, I want the XFL to be what the NFL used to be but isn't anymore. And I don't know that Vince McMahon, I think he's already kind of put himself in a box there, but the beauty of it is when you own the whole thing, you can change the box whenever you want. And I won't be surprised if two years from now when they launch this thing, it is going to be a lot like the NFL was in the 80s and the 90s and before the NFL decided we'd better be more careful from a health and safety standpoint. I mean, the players, they know what they're getting into. They know what they're signing up for. And I think there will be plenty who sign up for it, even if it is a riskier brand of football than what they're currently playing. What what is he what is he really saying here? The fans want it to be like the MMA or Ultimate Fighting Championship. Well, but see, for now he's saying he does that that they want it to be a safer sport. It's going right. to be more family friendly. It's going to be safer. And I can't reconcile these predetermined outcomes with we're going to give the fans what they want because I guarantee you there are plenty of fans when they hear a Mike Mitchell complain about. The rules. When they hear any player complain about the safety rules, and these guys have the attitude of, we know what we're signing up for, we want to play football, I think it creates that that reaction from a lot of fans who miss football the way it used to be. And the opening is there, if that's what he chooses to do. And, you know, he's a master showman. Right. And the next two years, if they're smart with how they use it, it's going to be a little drama point here, a little reveal there. This city gets a team. That city doesn't get a team. We're going to have this rule. We're going to have that rule. And they keep themselves in the public eye and in the stream of consciousness without a single dollar being spent. Stay tuned. What can I tell you? I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm as curious as anybody to see how this works. I mean, it, it, you know, it's funny. You go back to 2001 with the XFL, and, you know, our friend Dick Eversole was involved in, in that along with uh, McMahon. And the first week, it was like, oh, my God, they changed everything. This is fantastic. You know, he hate me and all this other stuff and all the craziness that went on. By week two, nobody's watching. Nobody. So you'll you'll be able to you know, make a big splash on opening day, but then what? How are you going to sustain it? It's got to be sustainable. When I asked him, what's the difference between your league and other leagues, and he said the other leagues were undercapitalized. I don't care how much money you put into it if the American public isn't going to embrace it. It's not going to work. And for whatever reason, the American public doesn't embrace professional football other than the NFL. And I don't see that changing. I kind of hope it does because I'd like to keep watching football into February and March. I mean, it really doesn't threaten the NFL and it could develop some of these younger players. But I think it's a steep uphill climb. I'm glad it's not my money. I mean, if anybody asked me, do you want to put some money into this? I'd say, "Eh, you know, I wish you all the best. But no, I'm going to keep my money in my pocket. Are we supposed to look at this as like a developmental league or a minor league or a farm system? I mean, some of these players, let's say they're there for a year or two, then what? Are they going to go to the NFL? What are we? I mean, to me, we're always talking about the superstars, you know, drive interest in the league, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and Drew Brees and, and all of the rest, and the young guys coming up, Wentz and Goff. 
Where are they going to get these guys? Yep. Where are they going to get them? Who's going to be the star of that league? And and you're right. When the star develops in that league, what happens? The NFL comes calling, and that guy's gone. Of course. Of All course. right. Speaking of gone, I I I've, <laughs> I've I'm in, I've imposed on too much of your time nah, today, and I know all. you have a lot going on. I look forward to seeing you next week in sunny and warm Minneapolis. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> safe travels, and and Al, as always, thanks for some of your time. We'll see you soon. Take care, Mike. All right. Be good. Thanks again to Al Michaels for his time at a time when he's just a couple of days removed from heading to Minneapolis for Super Bowl. 52, looking forward to seeing him there. He's always been great to me. I've known him for 11 years now, before, a couple of years before we got involved at NBC, and he's always been very helpful, very supportive. He, he thinks the whole PFT story is a great story. He reads the site. Every once in a while, I'll have a turn of phrase that he really likes and a will email me that he really liked. And it's just, it's Al Michaels. He could insult me and I'd be, and I'd say, you noticed me. Hey, you know that thing you wrote? That really sucked. Thank you. Thank you for reading it. I read your questions. I won't say that your questions suck unless they do. At Sergio D has a question. Given the unsolicited contract advice you've been providing to Le'Veon Bell, is there a chance the Steelers block him from appearing on your show next week? You know, that's a great question. We're scheduled to have him. We haven't locked in a date and a time yet. And maybe all that that implies for her. I, I don't think the Steelers have any say over these guys in the offseason. Once training camp starts, they're under the team's thumb for the most part, except on their day off. A lot of the guys we get, we get them on their Tuesday, their day off, because they're doing some sort of a media tour for whatever company is paying them to go do radio and TV shows. This is going to be Le'Veon Bell pushing some sort of a product, as he should be. He's a star player. He should be making that endorsement money. So I don't think the Steelers really can do anything. And look, it's not like I'm going to get him on the air and say, hey, Le'Veon Bell, you're stupid if you do a contract with the Steelers. Although, depending upon what mood I'm in and what day of the week it is, the thing about Super Bowl week, by Thursday or Friday, when I'm kind of tired and worn down and it's been one after another after another, I'm probably going to be a little more loose with what I say than Monday or Tuesday. So, I can't rule anything out at this point. Another one from Sergio D. If sporting bodies accept money from betting, wouldn't that open them up to legal action from gamblers in the event of a controversial decision? Does accepting money imply a contract between the gambler and the league? Hashtag slippery slope. I think you're being a little creative with the potential legalities, but the bigger concern, let's just, let's keep it simple. Occam's razor, the only razor I ever shave with. It's not a matter of the NFL in some way acquiring a legal obligation. It's more a political problem for the NFL. Once gambling is legalized. And I think back to the Chargers-Steelers game from 10 years ago or thereabouts. Scott Green made a bad call at the end of the game. The Steelers still won, but it was a Troy Polamalu touchdown that was wiped off the board, I believe. And it caused the betting line to flip. And everybody lost their damn minds. And most of the money that changed hands was the result of illegal betting. If you have that kind of a pendulum swing, hundreds of millions of dollars go from one to the other based upon a bad call, based upon something that looks fishy, that's going to be a problem for the NFL. That's when Congress shows up and says, we got to take a closer look at this. And I think the NFL's biggest fear, they've never said this, which would qualify to be their biggest fear because it's stupid to talk about your biggest fear as an organization. Their biggest fear is the creation of a federal commission that is responsible for professional sports in America, or just one that focuses on professional football. The NFL does not want to give up any of its authority over its own business to anyone else. And if the federal government smells a rat, once gambling is legalized, the federal government may decide to have somebody over the commissioner, over the NFL, that is responsible for ensuring that there is Fairness, transparency, consistency, and officiating, injury reporting, everything to avoid any type of problem that would cause people to be wagering money on something that, and I don't want to say rigged, because again, I don't buy the tinfoil hat crowd conspiracy that games are rigged. They're not rigged. I don't think the NFL is competent enough to pull off a rigged game. But if the competence level falls to the point where it is affecting not the outcome of games, but the outcome of the point spread, that's when the NFL has to worry. At Terry Gensler, 
how more significant does a torn LCL make Carson Wentz's injury? I haven't talked to a doctor or an athletic trainer about it, and I'm not being flippant here. I haven't. I just found out about it. I don't know. The LCL is one of those ligaments that we don't hear about very often. So I don't know. It's like that cousin that only visits once a year, the LCL. I, I don't know. And maybe at some point I knew, and now I've forgotten because it's been a year since the cousin visited. At Lucas Grabenot. Hashtag tag talk. What happens when a player gets tagged the third time and the player has a really low cap number? Is he just getting the raise above his cap number or is there a minimum? I like the question because it tells me you've been paying attention to some of the things we write at profootballtalk.com and I can explain it for you very simply. The third tag gives the player either a 44% raise over his prior year salary, specifically salary cap number, or the quarterback franchise tender, whichever is greater. So if it is a kicker or a punter, for example, and you're going to tag him a third time and say, yeah, I'll give him a 44% raise over 4 million, 5 million, whatever the kicker or punter tag is, you get quarterback money. That's the, that's the fallback. It's a 44% raise or quarterback money. And for a lot of positions, the 44% raise is going to be better because remember the second tag, 20% raise over your prior year franchise tag so the money goes up dramatically when you're talking about the third tag and that's good because it deters teams from squatting on a player via the tag for three straight years but good question and I hope that uh, that that explains it at Mike Durham do you think Jacoby Brissett being with the Colts attracted Josh McDaniels to them would be nice to have a backup you're familiar with in case Andrew Lux Luck runs out again I don't think that anything to do with it and I say that because based upon the things I heard about the Patriots and Brissett, they really weren't sold on the guy. They really didn't, they didn't feel that he could be the next starting quarterback there. So they moved him when they could, they got Philip Dorsett. It felt like a trade that favored the Indianapolis Colts. But if the Patriots are getting close to the end of their rope with Brissett anyway, then they got value for him before they otherwise waived him, which we've seen the Patriots are not bashful about waving moving on from anyone or everyone. So I don't think Brissett was a factor at all. I think it was luck, and I think it was working with Chris Ballard, a guy who Josh McDaniels believes will set the table maybe as well as Bill Polian once did for the Indianapolis Colts. At Jeff for Life 56 TB12 or Michael Jordan, who is the goat of goats in team sports in your opinion, humble or otherwise? I never have a humble opinion, but thank you for at least giving me the option to have one. Probably, oh, man. I'm not going to say that's a good question because that's just buying time. So I'll say I'm not going to say that's a good question to buy time. Probably Jordan because there's only five guys on the court and one guy has a lot more impact than one out of 22, right? Because half the game, Brady's not even on the field. So I understand that Brady is clutch and 28 to three and down 20 to 10 against the Jaguars. But I got to go Jordan. I got to go Jordan because to be what you were, to be what he was, to be what a great basketball player is, I think it means more in basketball. And it pains me to say that because I'm a football first and football only guy, but I still think Jordan. I think Brady needs to get to number seven, maybe eight before he would eclipse Jordan. But if Brady gets to six, in my mind, it does push Jerry Rice to the side as the guy who's been regarded for the past 25 years as the greatest football player of all time, regardless of position. Brady, as of last year, became the greatest quarterback of all time. This year, if they win this one more game, I think Brady with six Super Bowl titles, greatest player of all time, regardless of position. At Darren Mova, we've been talking about which team's going to pick up Kirk Cousins. Which team do you think Kirk Cousins wants to play for. I think he wanted to play for the 49ers. That's who I think he wanted to play for. And before they traded for Jimmy Garoppolo, the signs were pointing to Kyle Shanahan, who was the first offensive coordinator for Kirk Cousins when he was drafted in the fourth round out of Michigan State back in 2012. I think that's where it was all heading. So now I don't know where he wants to play. I don't know if he even wants to stay with Washington. I think he would want to stay with Washington if they would come to him and they would make him a multi-year offer that tells him, number one, you're our guy, and number two, sorry for not realizing you're our guy. So under the current circumstances, 
I would say maybe the Broncos are the team that would attract him the most because I think they're the best team out there that needs a quarterback. I don't know that he's the answer for the Broncos, though. I've been saying they need somebody who can come in and be a leader on both sides of the ball, and I'm not sure Cousins can do it. But I would say it's probably the Broncos. But it'll be interesting to see, number one, if Washington even lets him hit the market. There's been talk that they're going to do the $34.47 million franchise tag, third year, 44% raise. I think that's a mistake. Guys never want a playoff game. He doesn't seem like a transcendent talent that would justify that kind of investment. It would feel like Washington is just doing it to cover up their past mistakes, which is what they did last year, I believe, with $23.94 million. But whatever it is, anything other than a long-term deal, if they tag him, this is, I think, going to be the last year in Washington, but I, there's still a chance they let him walk, and we'll see where he walks to. At Chucky Wallace, who is the starting quarterback in Minnesota on week one, 2018? Now, that really is a good question. I'm not buying time there. I already have my answer. I think it will be, I think it will be Teddy Bridgewater. I really do. I think that it will be Teddy Bridgewater because the Vikings have a lot invested in him emotionally. Mike Zimmer was the coach when he was drafted. Rick Spielman was the GM who drafted him. It's just not fair. Not that football's ever fair. It's a cutthroat, cold-hearted business. But there's a sense of complete and total unfairness that the football gods took that knee and dislocated it during a non-contact drill in practice in August of 2016. And they know him better than anyone. They know how healthy he is. If they don't sign him, that tells me that they don't have a lot of faith in Bridgewater, but I think it makes the most sense. It's going to be the cheapest option because it's not like there's going to be other teams clamoring to sign him. And I think the Vikings ultimately re-sign him and find an affordable backup and go forward. Hope they find another Case Keenum if they need a guy who can come in and play. And Keenum, I don't know where Keenum's going to go. But at one point, after the Minneapolis miracle, I thought the Vikings had no choice but to pay the $23 million and franchise tag him. What happened in Philly last Sunday night, the only silver lining for the Vikings, as I said earlier this week, now I think they're absolved from using the tag on Keenum. And if they were going to spend that kind of money on Keenum, i say just spend a little bit more and convince Breeze to change cities and help the Vikings win a Super Bowl. Another question from Darren Mova. I heard Larry Fitzgerald is wanting to be released to sign with the Vikings. Have you heard such rumors? If that is so, does it make it more desirable for top free agent quarterbacks to sign with the Vikings? Look, I've mused about it. The possibility of Larry Fitzgerald wanting to go back to the team where he served as a ball boy in 1998 when they had Randy Moss, Chris Carter, and Jake Reed. And his father, Larry Fitzgerald Sr., has said Larry is a Viking and will always be a Viking. That was in 2011. Now, will it be difficult for him to finish his career with a new team? Some guys just don't want to play for a second team, period. But if there's another team that Larry Fitzgerald was ever going to play for, it would be the Vikings. And right now the Vikings' window is open. Who they get at quarterback going to be a factor. But man, Stephon Diggs, Adam Thielen, and Larry Fitzgerald, what a combination that would be. And it would potentially attract Drew Brees if the Saints lowball him. I know Brees said again that he's not leaving New Orleans. I think he is testing them, folks. He's going to see whether or not they take advantage of his decision to stay and lowball him. And if they lowball him enough, I think it's all subject to change. All right, another question. What do we got here? I, you know, what happened was I refreshed the page and it reshuffled them all. And I think I, I don't want to, I don't want to answer a question I've already answered. That would be embarrassing if that were to happen. At Hardy McBee, if the Eagles win the Super Bowl, who is the starting quarterback for Philly in Week One? It's still going to be Carson Wentz. It's not going to be Nick Foles. If Wentz is healthy, it's Wentz. At C Crawl, do you ever see the NFL expanding in the U.S. again, letting cities, ownership groups bid on perspective? expansion franchises. Anytime anybody brings up expansion, I say there aren't enough quarterbacks for 32 teams. There definitely aren't enough for more. If there aren't enough for 32, logic, ipso facto, you don't want more teams. At Ant Davis 559, Earl Thomas coming to Dallas, a real possibility. Apparently he's hitting and holding out if he doesn't get an extension. Sounds like he's trying to force the issue. Sounds like he wants the Seahawks. If they're going to squeeze him, squeeze now. Or pay him now. It's clear he wants to go to Dallas. We've already 
heard that. We saw it. We saw him walking with Coach Jason Garrett to the locker room after the Seahawks-Cowboys game late in the regular season. At B-Flow, faux show, most likely quarterback drafted by the Patriots, or is that totally unlikely? I think they are going to take a quarterback, and it won't surprise me if they take a quarterback in round one. They were on to Garoppolo four years ago, and I think they believed that when Garoppolo was ready, Tom Brady would be ready to walk away. Brady screwed that up by being great for too many years, and now I think they have to be ready to have a guy that they're grooming, to have a guy that they're developing, to have a guy who can learn football in that same kind of competitive environment that Tom Brady creates. Not that Brady's going to mentor the guy, but just being around Brady is going to help him, just like it helped Jimmy Garoppolo. So I think they'll draft somebody. It depends on who's there, but I think that's what's going to happen. At Dustin Lowe Miller, will the NFL look at the weed policy in the offseason? What's it going to take to get some bad rules changed? Well, with the weed policy, look, the NFL views it as a matter of collective bargaining. They're not going to change the weed policy at all unless the NFL Players Association is willing to make some sort of a concession. And the NFLPA won't be willing to make a concession because the way the rule is currently constituted, if you're smart, you can avoid getting yourself in trouble under the policy. It only affects a small handful of guys every year. It's not worth making a concession to make it even easier for players to smoke. Players who are smart can smoke when they want to. They know when the one test per year is coming. There's a, a, a window that opens on 420. Yes, someone has a sense of humor in the league office after all. Closes in early August. You get your one test per year. After that, smoke them if you got them. As long as you don't do something stupid and get popped for possession of marijuana or have a bag of weed fall out and land on the commissioner's shoes when you're visiting Park Avenue. Other than that, you're, you're good to go. So I don't see any changes being made. I think the only time the NFL would ever find itself back to a corner is if the federal government would abandon its position on marijuana being a controlled substance. And we know at least for the duration of the current administration or as long as the current attorney general is in office, that's not going to happen. Because if anything, he's trying to push the clock back in the states where marijuana has been legalized for recreational and or medicinal purposes. All right, now I'm tripping back over the ones I've already answered, so let me scroll through these. At Damn It Ryan, can I write for XFL Talk? Sure, feel free to apply. I mean, are, are you being sarcastic, Damn It Ryan, because we've had three XFL stories, maybe four over the past two days? Look, I'm fascinated by the XFL, and oh, by the way, check the domain. It's not NFLtalk.com, it's profootballtalk.com. XFL will be a professional football league, so if we want to talk about the XFL... We will. At Exegis, unofficially, what NFL team do you hate the least? I hate them all equally. That's my official position. 32 teams, I hate them all equally. At S. Alvashire, do you think one possibility for the XFL will be controlled outcomes? As crazy as it sounds, Vince McMahon is an entertainment genius, and one big point made in the 30 for 30 documentary about the old XFL was his frustration not being able to create and control storylines. I think you can create and control storylines without controlling outcomes. And if there's going to be wagering on the XFL, you can't control outcomes. Do they, do they wager on pro wrestling? Surely they don't. Sure, surely they don't. Although a lot of these prop bets... A lot of these, like, what color hoodie is Bill Belichick going to wear and how many times will Al Michael say dilly-dilly during the broadcast? I mean, those are all things that are controlled by human beings. I was joking about this the other day. If I'm Bill Belichick, you know, I, I lay a bet through a third party as to what color hoodie I'm going to wear, and I'm going to wear the hoodie that's that color. So I don't think the XFL is going to control the outcomes. I think they're asking for trouble, especially if they hope to have gambling on their product and why wouldn't they? It makes people more interested in their product. At Exegis, do you think the NFL hates you more for picking at their scabs or loves you more for prom promoting their product? They, they hate me more for picking at their scabs because there's plenty of people out there who promote the product without picking at scabs. And they want me to be like that. I know that. I know that. They complain all the time about the things that I say that they don't like. They never once say thank you for promoting the product. Thank you for devoting every waking moment of every hour of every day of your life to promoting the NFL. I've never gotten that thank you note. Thank you for your service. Look, I get paid, so I don't care. I'm not in this to get a thank you note signed by Roger Goodell. I do it because I like football. And people 
don't understand, not everyone, but some, they don't understand when I criticize the NFL, they think it means I don't like the NFL. I don't like some of the things the people who are in charge of the NFL do, and I feel like part of my mission is to call them out and hold them accountable so they will do things better, so the NFL will be better, so the sport will be better. And so we'll all be better off for it. There is a shared interest in that regard. I'm not going to be a lackey. I'm not going to be a cheerleader. I'm not going to be a shill. There are plenty of shills. And it's not just people who get a paycheck signed by Roger Goodell and work for NFL media. There are plenty of shills elsewhere in the media who supposedly work for independent operations but choose to keep their nose inside the rear end of the league office because it helps them professionally. Trust me. You see it, and I know it. At B-Ball Analyst, where's Le'Veon Bell going if he leaves Pittsburgh? I saw Peter King throw a dart in Oakland's direction. I was intrigued by that. I know Stats really wants him to be a 49er. Look, plenty of teams out there would pay this guy. He is a dual threat, receiving and rushing. I'd go after him. If I didn't have a clear lead dog at running back, I would definitely go after him. And I would put an offer together and hope that I could get him for the next three or four years. At I Cornelius, can you get a Packers Brian Gutekunst interview. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen, although we will make the request. Is Blake Bortles elite, really, at Millennial Entertainment? Is Joe Flacco elite? Gee, welcome to 2013, IBN Scott. At Sanger, Nick Foles to the Bills this offseason. I think the Bills are going to draft a quarterback, and I don't think the Eagles should let Nick Foles go. I think they should hang on to him, because if Carson Wentz is going to keep playing the way he is, he may get injured again. At Blake88 Elite, what networks or streaming services would you say might have an interest in showing XFL games? I don't know. Here's the problem. Most of the three-letter networks have a relationship with the NFL. So unless the NFL gives them the nod, I don't see them getting in bed with the XFL. NBC co-founded the XFL back in 2001 when NBC was frozen out of the NFL. I don't see a major network. Because look at it. ABC is tied in with ESPN. Fox, CBS, and NBC all have... NFL deals. I don't see any of those networks getting involved unless the NFL says it's okay. At Black 88 Elite, what would be the chance Tim Tebow leaves baseball and plays in the XFL? Well, you know what? Two years from now is a long time, and Tim Tebow's 30. At some point, he's got to give up on the one-man baseball fantasy camp and focus on something else, and if the XFL is giving him a chance to play football. See, I think Tim Tebow loves to cling to this subtle narrative that he was wronged in some way by the NFL. I think that's why he didn't go to Canada. Because if he goes to Canada, he proves it. Maybe he proves. Likely he proves that the NFL was right about him. If he goes to the XFL, maybe he proves the NFL was right about him. So I think that would be my concern. At Jeff for Life 56, I'm up to a full hour, so I'm just going to answer a couple more and then move on for the weekend. At Jeff for Life 56, you and PA on the mic did a podcast last season for a while. I enjoyed it. Good back and forth banner. Any chance it makes a return at some point. That was the PA and Florio podcast. Boom and gloom, as Paul called it. We did it once a week, and it was just kind of a pain for both of us. He had to be available at a certain time near a studio. I had to be available. I traveled on Mondays. He was busy this day. And it just ended up being something I didn't enjoy. I enjoy PFTPM because I can do it whenever I want. And if I want to skip a day, I can skip a day. And I don't have to share the microphone. Not that I want to ha- I, I want to have a guest every show if I can, but I don't have to worry. I like Paul. Maybe someday. We'll see. If we can make money doing it, I would do it. If the, if the process isn't going to make any money, then I'm just going to keep doing it by myself. At Jeff for Life 56, are Rex and Rob Ryan done coaching? I have no idea what Rob is doing, but Rex always had good defenses, but would he get back in as a coordinator? I, I don't think he... I don't think he's going to get back in as a coordinator. I think he's said enough about the Jets. There's been enough revisionist history from Rex Ryan. I don't know who would ever hire him to be a head coach. I mean, has the name of either Ryan come up in this hiring cycle? Seven job vacancies and new staffs. Watch, Rob Ryan's going to have a job by the time I finish this podcast. At Jeff for Life 56, Dolphins met with Baker Mayfield. Are they blowing a little smoke about Ryan Tannehill being the guy? Well, he can be the guy for this year, and they can develop a guy behind him. I don't know. Look, you're there. You have a chance to talk to these guys. And part of it, too, is, hey, there's a chance Baker Mayfield's going to end up being the Patriots quarterback or the Bills quarterback. This gives us a chance to, to compile a little information about the guy. You're there. Your scouts are there. Justify their existence. Do some scouting. Just because you say 
and they haven't said it publicly. They've leaked to Armando Salguero that Ryan Tannehill is their guy. That that doesn't mean you foreclose all options. And here's the other thing, too. Because they're picking number 11, I believe. If you are holding that pick and Mayfield is there, you have a better understanding of the value of the pick if you do a full workup on Baker Mayfield. Because that would be the spot to dangle. And you can get into a more meaningful conversation of whoever is trading up to get Baker Mayfield if you have done your homework on Baker Mayfield. And you can say, hey, we talked to the guy. How about this? How about that? I think you should offer more. I think you should offer more. So that may be why they're doing it. I knew if I talked about it long enough, I'd eventually make some sense or or not. At Jeff for Life 56, Boston Radio Station has it on good authority that Gronk will, without a doubt, be playing in the Super Bowl. Not that I don't believe them, but no one else has reported that with any authority. Have you heard anything on Gronk? Look, it's two weeks to heal from a concussion. I would be shocked if he's not cleared in two weeks. Shocked. If he's not cleared from concussion symptoms in two weeks, he has to really worry about his ability to play moving forward. If it takes you more than two weeks to recover from a concussion. He wasn't knocked out. He was woozy. He was wobbly. But if it takes more than two weeks, if he can't get cleared before Super Bowl 52, he's got a problem as it relates to his ongoing career. So I'm not surprised by that report. And I don't think anybody knows. You're not cleared until you're cleared. And if he still has concussion symptoms today, there's no guarantee he won't a week from now. But if he does, that's a problem. At Jeff for Life 56, when you're working Radio Row next week and you walk by a show you dislike for whatever reason, do you stop and look at that person in a menacing way to show them who the top dog is? No, I don't. When I encounter someone that I don't like or I know they don't like me, I'm very nice to them. Very nice to them. Over the top nice to them. It just amuses me. At 205, Mike, are guests to the barn more likely to be offered a micro or mega brew? It's just whatever booze is in the is in the refrigerator. The, the beer, look, I don't care about the beer. I'm down there for the whiskey. At Jeff for Life 56, this is the last one and then I go, got to go, is Pat Shermer being set up to fail with the Giants? A lot of talk about how Eli has years left. Look, I, I liked the Pat Shermer press conference. I did. I don't know what the correlation is. John Gruden's was the best one of the year. Shermer's was number two. Others weren't as inspiring. Steve Wilkes was pretty good. But Shermer, I think he gets it. It's a tough job. You're dealing with a tough media market. You're going to get some tough questions. You've got to be able to handle yourself. And I think he'll handle himself well. And I think he'll handle himself in the locker room. He's got to strike the right relationship, the right tone with all of the players individually, especially the key players. And he seems to be all in with Eli Manning. Now, from Shermer's perspective, look, if he's just going along with the organizational decision to ride with Eli, it kind of gives him a scholarship year. Because if Eli stinks this year, it's not on Shermer. Not on Shermer. So I think Shermer's going to be fine, and I don't think that, that he's being set up to fail. I think they genuinely are trying to win. I don't like the fact that they created the perception that he was the third choice because they did create that perception. And, and I, I still don't understand why they weren't interested in Jim Schwartz, especially after what the Eagles' defense did to Shermer's offense last Sunday. But we'll see what happens with Shermer. It helps to have great players, and they have one of the best in Odell Beckham Jr. One more from at Jeff for Life 56. I suggest a throat punch to Sims next week. The first time you see him, you need to display your dominance right from the start and set the tone for the week. We have the picture. Somebody tweeted the picture of where we're going to be. We are at the mall. We are literally in the mall. We are among the stores. We are at the edge, one of those railings that doesn't really go up as high as it needs to to keep people from falling over. I don't know that I'm going to feel safe there. I may need a, a, a what, what do they call that thing? When you tie off, like when you're on a building, you have the, the, the harness and you keep it connected to something in the event you fall. I'm not kidding. But we are set up and ready to go. I just have to make my way to Minneapolis. We'll be doing the shows from there all week next week. PFT Live, PFT PM. Looking forward to that. And we are going to have a great list of guests. I have it somewhere here. Hang on. Let me just tell you who we already have. If I haven't already, or if I have anyway. We have Hall of Famers and current players. Monday, we'll have Andre Tippett. Tuesday, Orlando Pace. Scott Zolak's going to join us. Eric Kendricks of the Vikings, Kirk Cousins, 
Well, ask him where he wants to play. Stephon Diggs, Alex Smith, Terrell Owens, Dan Marino, Jason Witten, Kareem Hunt, Luke Keekley, Deshaun Watson, Alvin Kamara, Travis Kelsey, Vaughn Miller, Melvin Gordon, Mark Ingram, Jim Kelly, Gerald McCoy, Terry Bradshaw, Patrick Peterson, Aaron Donald. How about that? Marcus Mariota. I'm going to talk by phone to Randy Moss and Juju Smith-Schuster for the PFTPM podcast. Others to be scheduled, Cam Jordan, Michael Bennett, Malcolm Jen- I don't think Malcolm Jenkins is going to make it. I think that was if the Eagles don't make it to the Super Bowl. Jalen Smith, Vince Williams, Kenny Stills, Derek Brooks, Le'Veon Bell, Leonard Fournette, Jared Goff, Matt Ryan, Devontae Freeman, Todd Gurley. What a week we are going to have in Minneapolis. Thanks for joining us in all the weeks of the season that didn't involve me traveling to Minneapolis, and we look forward to talking to you all week long next week. Enjoy the weekend. And we'll talk Monday. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk.